a number of days ago, the uh, funeral service of Billy Graham was televised. And around the world, people observed the family members carrying the casket. And that casket drew a lot of attention because it was not very ornate. It was very plain. It was made of plywood with a wooden cross on top, brass handles. And if you were able to look inside, you would see that the, the material that lined it was purchased from Walmart, bedding material, and then covered with cloth or fabric inside. It was very, very humble. Billy Graham, through his son Franklin Graham, had instructed had instructed him to purchase from Angola Penitentiary two caskets. Franklin was going yet again to Angola Prison, which was notorious for its riots and also because it housed some of the most violent criminals in the nation. Angola has a death row, and they've got a service, as it were, to those that are um, death row inmates, that upon their death, there is a group of inmates headed up by George Liggett, who is a Christian, that they build plywood coffins. Well, Franklin had told Billy, his dad, I'm going there with George Beverly Shea and we are going to be leading uh, another evangelistic revival service and we're going to oversee again these evangelistic Bible studies that we've begun. And Billy said, well, while you're there, I want you to talk to George and I want you to Tell him I'm ready to hold him to his promise. He said that it would be the greatest honor of his life when the time came to build a coffin for me and for Ruth. So Franklin goes and he searches out and he finds George and he said, George, it's time. It's 2005. Ruth would die a couple of years later. But for all those years, between 2005 and 2018, there's been a casket, a coffin. The last vehicle, as it were, to the grave waiting for Billy Graham. And he has known that. He instructed George, he said, through Franklin, he said, I don't, not only do I want 
you to make my casket, but I want you to, to burn in the side of the casket the name of all the men that assisted you in building this. And he would pray for those men. And in time, George died. Many of those men died before Billy Graham in his long life. You know, it was curious to me. And I, watching that, the, the ceremony and seeing that casket, I didn't know the story. I didn't know that it had been made in Angola Penitentiary by inmates, life inmates there who were Christians. I didn't, I didn't know that Billy Graham had ordered it way back in 2005. I didn't know that he prayed for the men. That casket must have been always on his mind in this life that there is a grave, there's a casket waiting for me. What do you do with a casket, by the way? Where do you, I mean, do you, do you, where do you store it? Do you like, put it in a room of the house? Maybe keep it in the garage and walk by and say, oh, I've got to move that casket out of the way again to get to the bikes. Um, we've got a member of our church that we pray often enough, and uh, Chris McClellan. And I asked him once because I'd heard, and he and his sons, they work with wood. And I'd asked him, I said, Chris, I heard that, um, that you have a casket, that you made a casket for yourself. He said, well, I did. And I'm like, oh, now there's a story. You made, you made yourself a casket, but you don't have it now, but you're still alive. He said, well, it's like this. He said, we're all going to die. And so me and my sons will make a casket for me, and we'll just stick it there in the, in the shed, out of the way to, for a future date. And then... One of my friends will die. And the spouse or a child will call me and they say, you know, they really loved you. Would you make them a casket? He said, it takes a bit of time and work. And most funerals, you know, they're, they're less than a week that they need a casket. And so people keep dying. So I keep giving them my casket. Living with a casket causes us to live with death in mind. And that's this morning's theme. We're in Ecclesiastes 11. And there's a series, there are a number of Proverbs. These are Proverbs that we're looking at this morning. It is said in verse 7 and 8 that... In essence, life has many, many risks. Life on this earth is unpredictable. But that, that is not to stop us from being fearless and enjoying life with God. Verse 7 and 8. Life is sweet. It is pleasant. There are pleasant places. I love the name of that uh, yard and, and, and landscaping company. Pleasant places. There are pleasant places for the eyes to see the sun. 
So, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. This is a permit from the Scriptures. Rejoice! God is giving you, if He gives you another year, enjoy a sweet life. Enjoy the pleasant part. But let him remember there's a casket. Let him remember that there are days of darkness. There will be many. All that comes is vanity. There will be things that die. There will be things that we go after the sweetness of life and it doesn't last or it decays. There will be dark days ahead. But don't let that stop you from embracing life that God has put before you. Well, that's where we're going this morning. And I want to look through a number of these. There are seven of them. And so I can't uh, devote a lot of time to each one, but I do want to look at each one here in the Scriptures and then just give you some, uh, a little bit of encouragement. And what I'm encouraging you to do is this. If I were to look at the congregation this morning, and I'm just guessing, but I'll say that 50% of you are risk-adverse. And then the other 50% are a mix of people that will take high risk. You'll go overboard or you'll take measured risk. But there's about 50% of you that are risk adverse. You will not take any risk. And it's you particular that I want you to not hear from me, but to hear from the Lord. Hear from God's Word what Solomon has to say about risk and about the life that we're in. In 1 Kings chapter 4, we read that God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore. In other words, his mind was so full of knowledge that it would look like, if you could get into his brain, it would look like sand over on the Isle of Palms. He was wiser than all other men. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs. His songs were 1,005. We've got one. It's called the Song of Solomon. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke from great, great, he spoke about great sequoias and about a muscadine vine. He spoke of beasts, of birds, of reptiles, of fish. All the people of the nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and from all the kings of the earth, they heard his wisdom. These are Proverbs. They are Proverbs that come from Solomon in a book of wisdom, Ecclesiastes, for God's people. It's recorded in God's Word. So may God bless us with an understanding of these Proverbs that issue forth from Solomon. An understanding that I would leave each of you 
to apply in the course of your days ahead. First proverb, be bold, and I'm getting these off the sermon notes that we put out in the, on the table. Be bold, it's found in verses 1 and 2. Cast your bread on the waters, but also give a portion to 7 and even 8. This proverb is, be bold and adventuresome, but also be smart and diversified. Because no one venture is a sure thing. Um, It's an old saying, even when Solomon said it. It's not a new saying. Cast your bread upon the waters. It was, we read elsewhere, and I won't turn there, but in 1 Chronicles 8, that Solomon began to acquire all of this land and for the first time, Israel expanded its borders to include a shoreline. And Hiram, who he had been looking to, to provide cedars for the building of the great temple of God, as well as his own palace headquartered in Jerusalem, was met by Solomon and Solomon said, you know what? You're going to be delivering wood by ship. I want a fleet of ships. But we don't have any sailors. And Hiram said, I'll suit you up. You send me some men. I will send you ships that you will pay for, along with accomplished sailors and seamen. And they will teach your guys, but they'll be with you, and then you'll have a fleet. Well, there's the fleet. And Solomon says to the sailors, I don't want to just see, I mean, a boat in a marina is worthless. If it just sits there, it's made to sail. And so he's saying, I want you to go abroad. And so they go to Ophir. And there in Ophir, they come back loading, low in the water with gold. And then later, they send out those ships. Some will sink. Some will face pirates. Some will will simply never return to that harbor. But to cast your bread on the waters was an expression to say, send out your ships. Send out your ships. And you'll find it after many days. It's like us saying, um, cut down the tree, but as you're cutting it, let the chips fall where they may. Some of the chips are going to fall here and some are going to be lost. You can't find them. Some of the ships are going to be very successful. Some are not. But don't put everything in one, on, to one ship. Don't put, as we would say, don't put, every, don't put all your chips in on one bet. Um, don't, don't in a venture... Put all your eggs in one basket. These are all Proverbs. and They come from the Bible. And Solomon, from God, is telling us, if you want to have a life, don't play it safe. Be balanced. Diversify. Diversify seven times with your stock portfolio. But invest. 
And I don't know that he's saying have a stock portfolio, but it's a venture. Stocks go up and stocks go down. And this venture may look different for us all. But if you play your life completely safe, and it's always got to be a sure thing, then look, what is your life really like? Second proverb, verses 3 and 4. The wind blows in unpredictable aspects of life, so don't wait for the perfect day. Don't wait for the day without wind before you go outside, before you then plant your crop, or before you then look for the perfect day, the perfect opportunity before you venture forth. Um, Here in Proverbs 3 and 4, he says, you know, the clouds are going to empty themselves on the earth. And trees are going to fall. He's talking about the economy of water for the land and for crops. But he's also talking about when a tree falls, they didn't have chainsaws. So when a tree fell, that was good for fuel or that was good for tools. But what if it fell on your neighbor's property instead of your property? Well, that's going to happen. But sometimes it'll fall on your property. But if you wait for fuel, if you wait for that tree to fall, just if you wait for just the perfect day that it'll fall, you cannot predict it. You won't know. You can't outguess God. I believe that Solomon is saying, for those who say, I want it always to be orderly. I want that tree to always fall this way. And I want it to be painless. And I don't want it to cost me anything. He's saying, you're waiting for the perfect day, the perfect opportunity. You're playing it safe. You're trying to predict. You want a predictable life. And life doesn't work that way. God is not going to tell you, by the way, whether to go right or to go left. Very, very, very rarely, if ever, has God, when I am faced with a decision, I can go this way or I can go this way, very, very rarely is it so clear. It's just a choice. It's just a choice. And there can be consequences either way. Now, I'm not talking about, as I did last week, about the right being God's way of righteousness and the left being selfishness and sinful. No. It's just two equally good opportunities. Um, Third, and this is found in verse 5. It is not by luck or coincidence that life is unpredictable, but by a sovereign God's mysterious plan. This was what Job was up against in Job 38. Job 38 is where God shows up to Job who's been questioning, why is my life like this? It was all going according to plan. It was a wonderful plan. I had 
kids and grandkids and I had camels and mules and wealth and I was I had friendships and health and and everything was going so great and then just unpredictably my health is shot my wealth is shot my kids are gone my wife is left behind she's a nag it's unpredictable God shows up who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know, or who stretched the line upon it. In other words, where were you when I created the world? Which if you want to run your brain in circles, where were you when God created the earth? Well, I was not existent. You were not existent physically, but were you in his plan, in his mind? God knows all things. Ephesians said that before the creation of the world, you were called, you were the elect. God even knew that you would come to faith in Jesus Christ before the creation of the world, before you were ever born. And God says to Job, by the way, where were you? Were you in, where were you when I made the world? And he's like, if you can't answer that question, how can you understand how things operate in this world? But it doesn't operate by luck or coincidence. My hand is there. This is the passage that Jesus, in addressing Nicodemus, who says this in John 3, verse 8, he, he said, you know, Nicodemus is there on the rooftop questioning. He says, now this born-again business, how does, how does that work? I mean, go back into the womb and then come back out. I don't understand how that works. And Jesus said, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from and where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What's the point? This proverb is saying, if you wait till you can completely understand it, if you wait on God and say, I'm not going to go into, I'm not going to get married. I'm not going to... Uh, Take a different job. I'm not going to buy a house until I completely, completely get clarity and understand how it works. Then you will probably not ever do it. You'll freeze. You'll get what's called paralysis by analysis. Life is unpredictable. If you are single... And you marry, I can promise you this, you're marrying as a fallen person, a fallen person. And should you be blessed with children, you're going to have fallen children in a fallen home, on a fallen street, in a fallen city, in a fallen world. And fallen means it's no longer orderly. It's no longer stuff happens. Decay happens. If we look to, to that and say, well, obviously this is perfect, we may 
be waiting a long time before we ever venture forward. God's not ever going to tell you exactly, exactly how it's going to turn out. I think if He did, number one, we're not able to understand it. Job couldn't understand it if He told him exactly why I've allowed you to go through all this. And number two, we would probably be, we'd never leave our bed. It would terrify us. We wouldn't undertake it. And so God has said, listen, listen, there's certain things that you just, the work of God who makes everything, you just don't know it. But God is involved in everything. He's sovereign. He's over everything. And I think that's very helpful to me to not question and not have a life of regret. Oh, I made a bad decision. God was even in that. Proverb number four. Venture out boldly and let the sovereignty of God be your comfort and not your excuse. So here you've got in verse six, you've got someone who has their seed that they're going to sow. And they're saying, you know, which is best? Sow it in the morning so that I can sow it and then it gets full sun? Or sow it in, uh, under the moonlight in the evening so that it'll be, I can water it and it will have the cool of the evening to kind of bed and seed and then, what, what do I do? Well, this individual is not paralyzed. Because this one says, you don't know which one will prosper, this or that, so let's do both. Or let's do either. Because it's all under God's sovereignty. I can't make a mistake. It's not a moral issue. You've heard this, but we're coming up on the spring of the year. And it was Easter in 2006, that I was, I had gone to my congregation there in Utah, and I said, we are convinced that God is leading us to leave this church that God privileged us to be planters and to go to Charleston and to start a church. If you had drawn me aside and say, how did that work? How did you know that it was the right time to leave? How did you know Charleston? Well, it's a little bit of a longer story, and I won't give you all the details, but the call to leave was like this. In my prayers of many, many days, it was as if the Lord spoke to me. The way He speaks to Presbyterians is rather mystical. It's not a clear voice. He does that with Baptists, but He doesn't do that with Presbyterians. But the, war, the way the Lord spoke to me was this. If you stay, I will bless you. But if you go, I will bless you. Because I know wherever you go, you will serve me. So it doesn't matter if you stay. It doesn't matter if you go to Greenville. It doesn't matter if you go to Charleston. It doesn't matter if you go to Florida. It doesn't matter if you go to Oklahoma. I don't, it doesn't, it's not that precise. It doesn't matter if you sow in the morning. It doesn't matter if you sow in the evening. It doesn't matter if that car that you buy is yellow or if it's blue. It doesn't, it's not that it's 
So Solomon is saying again, venture out. Because God will use it and He will use you in those situations. He is sovereign. So don't let the idea of His sovereignty hold you back because you're not sovereign and you can't predict it. So instead of withdrawing because of your uncertainties, let your uncertainties fuel your prayers and move out. Let it open you to opportunities because God is sovereign that you might not have ever considered because there's still so many uncertainties around it. Try lots of different things. Try lots of different things. Giving yourself an opportunity for God to use those things in your life. In other words, be fearless. Fifth, verses 7 and 8. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful thing to be alive. So live fully alive now as old age is coming. Solomon, the word vanity meaning meaninglessness or purposelessness is throughout the whole 12 chapters. In other words, life is so uncertain. You know, I see a good man fail and I see a bad evil man succeed. I see, I see all of this influence and wealth and power and they finally come up into a position and they have to give it to someone, they give it to a fool. I mean, I just see all this craziness, all these uncertainties, and it's so unpredictable. And he says, but there's one thing that's predictable. There's one thing that's certain, and that is old age and that casket. Derek Kidner, writing on this passage in Ecclesiastes 11, says this. We should grasp the fact that all things temporal in this earth will disappoint us to a degree. We must face the fact or else be crushed by it. So we face the fact, but it doesn't crush us because we trust in the dark days of growing old, we trust the Lord. And the Lord here in His Word says, as you're growing older, as those dark days are coming, live and live full every day, every year, as it remains. And I don't know. I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what the next steps look like for you. I know that there are a lot of couples that work hard, hard, hard. My parents were this way. Work hard. And they, they try to save or they try to invest. Normally, like with my parents' case, they try to invest in farmland. Didn't take vacations. Didn't spend money or their earnings on themselves ever. But they were always thinking about the kids. You know, they were thinking about maybe that legacy that they would pass on, however humble it would be. Solomon would look at them and say, no, 
No. You're growing old and life is hard. But while the sun shines, while you still have a degree of your health, enjoy this life with God's blessings. Enjoy your rest. Enjoy the pleasant things as they come. Elsewhere he has said, you know, enjoy the wine, enjoy the bread, enjoy your friendships. And sometimes I think we're, we're, we're more strict on ourselves than God is. As if God doesn't want us to laugh. As if God doesn't want us to venture. We're made for adventure. Number six. So go for it because you're breaking down. You're going to die. You know? So before you die, live a little. Okay. Number six. Follow the impulse and desire of your heart with Augustine's guard of love God and do what you want. One of my favorite passages of scriptures is Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. In other words, your friend is I am faithful to the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. I love the Lord, you shall say. And He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Lord, I'm committed to you. My life is yours. Trust in Him and He will act. In other words, God has placed certain desires on our heart. And when we delight in Him, He delights in us finding the expression of those impulses, of of those desires on our heart. Do you know what gives your heart an extra beat? Do you know what gives your heart an impulse, a pulse? What is the desire of your heart? Some of us have never even sat and thought about it. We, we act as, as if that's selfish to do so. But not if you're faithful to the Lord. Not if you're following Him. Not if you're obedient. Not if you're His child. He's given you those desires. And He wants us to step out. And it will cost you something. And there is a risk. But He wants you to commit your way to Him and He wants you to move forward and go out. Again, does He want you to take that job or not take it? What do you want? Does He want you to be in relationship even toward marriage with that person or not? What do you want? Now you may say, now wait a minute, wait a minute, that that sounds awful selfish to me. One of my favorite quotes here on the outline is Augustine. Love God. Love God. Do you love Him? Do you love God? Do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord Jesus? Yeah? Then do what you want. Well, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. What I want is, well, what you want, you're going to find alignment. You're going to find alignment when you discover the desires of God's heart. You'll discover as you desire God, the desires of your heart. That's alignment. Those things will then fulfill you and give your heart pulse. You'll want what God wants. And you will find that that is the true desire of your heart. So love God first. 
But then live life as you want. Again, I know a lot of you are troubled with that, but this is Augustine, and I've thought about this one for years because it's a sanctified want now. And this is, this is out of verse 9 where it says, Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. In other words, walk with a good conscience. You know, walk, walk forward in these things, mindful that you're walking and you're following your heart, but you're doing so under God, faithful to God, loving God. And then lastly, verse 10, quit being always too scared or a worrywart who never has a life while at the same time avoiding stupid things that will hurt you. Now the footnote in the ESV says, put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life or vanity. And the word for pain is evil. So he's basically saying, listen, don't be so scared and are such a worrywart that you never, you never risk, you never get out in pursuit of that, that life that you would love to chase after, you would love to grasp, but I could get hurt. Of course you could get hurt, and you will get hurt. But he's saying, don't be afraid of the unpredictableness of life in pursuing life. But while you're at it, don't pursue life in things that will hurt you. Immoral relationships. Greed. Sinful behaviors. Abuse of alcohol or drug addictions. All of those things. I mean, just about every sin you can imagine to say, listen, those things will just destroy your life. Life will not be found in those things. But pursue life. Get up. Go forward. Live large in this life. But in the house of holiness. In the context. In the setting of holiness. So. Start that business. Have that child. Buy that house. Get married. Relocate. Go to the mission field. I, you know what? It is my privilege to disciple a number of men, and I am, so, I am so amazed that so many men tell me, you know, I've been toying for years with the idea about either online taking seminary classes or theology classes. You know, I, I mean, I, I can't do it, but I, I always thought, you know, what would it be like to be a minister? Go for it! Start small if you need to, but don't, don't be held back just because, just because you're too scared or you're worried. It's, um, it's a bit of a challenge to preach Proverbs, but it's in the Bible and we have committed ourselves to walk through Ecclesiastes word by word and look at all these verses and so, as I looked in this, I was asking myself the question, you know, where is the gospel? Where, where is Jesus in this passage? 
Solomon is writing this at the end of his life. He did not know of Jesus. He would have known through his father David of the promise of a Messiah to come. But in this, where he recognizes that God has given us life, he knows that God is not begrudging us of enjoying that life in a fallen world, in its unpredictableness, knowing that we're destined for Him. Jesus would tell His disciples and all of His followers again and again, life is found in me. me. Leave your nets, follow me. Leave your boats and follow me. Leave Matthew the tax collecting, follow me. And they followed Him into a great and adventuresome life. Jesus is inviting us to follow Him. And He's not going to leave us when we go into these other ventures. In fact, He may very well be and is leading us into those things that we can experience life and all the circumstances and encounters in these new areas that we risk or we venture with Him as He gives us and He shows us His pleasure and His love. And we do so in dependency upon him father i thank you i thank you that you love for your children to experience large lives and that if we would experience large lives it is to first again this morning at this table surrender and give our life over to you and then to follow you as you lead us out even into new ventures into new experiences that father you love for us to have large lives because that's how you designed all your sons and daughters to live so father forgive us of fears forgive us of worries forgive us of any demands that we make upon you that we'll not move a step until you give us crystal clarity Father, grow our faith. Grow our trust in You. Help us to live our life without regret as You lead us forward in all of these areas. So, Father, strengthen our faith from this table. Feed us again with our, in our relationship with You, Jesus. Give us more belief and faith to combat our doubts and our fears and our unbelief. We ask this, Father, in Christ's name. Amen.